in the scripture readings for today. The Old Testament lesson is in Genesis 50, chapter 50, beginning at verse 15 through 21. It's found on page 54 in the church Bibles. Joseph reassures his brothers. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your fathers. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The epistle lesson is found in Romans chapter 14, beginning with verse 1 through 12, found on page 1124 in the church Bible. <coughs> The weak and the strong, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat any, everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. <clears throat> and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. 
So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. The Gospel lesson is found in Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 21. Out of respect for the Holy Gospel, please rise. It's found on page 975 in the Church Bibles. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? (coughs) And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found (coughs) one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. (coughs) Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? In anger, (coughs) his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Here ends the God. God's grace and God's mercy and God's peace be given to you through our Lord and our Savior Jesus. We're going to look at the gospel lesson for this morning, and I'd like to just put before you again these words from Matthew chapter 18, verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? Heavenly Father, may these words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength, our rock, our redeemer, the one who forgives us, amazingly forgives us of all of our sins. The amount he owed (laughs) through the roof. Staggering. Effectively, factually, realistically, no way of ever, ever 
repaying the amount that he owed. And yet, the whole debt was canceled, wiped out, clean slate, as if the guy had never, ever spent a day in the red, ever. Now, I'm sure you know that, uh, and guessed, I'm talking about the servant in the parable that was told by Jesus who owed his king 10,000 talents. So the day of reckoning comes, and the king begins to call in his debtors, and to me it makes all the sense in the world. Where would he stop? He would, he would start He would start at the top of the list. The guy who owed him the most. These make sense to me, anyway. Now, I think, I think it would be helpful for us to put the amount that this guy owed the king into amount that we can perhaps, and I'm going to emphasize that word perhaps, I even have it underlined here in my sermon notes, perhaps better understand so as to get the message that Jesus is trying to teach us. Perhaps, I say, we can understand because that's just how unbelievable the amount of debt was that this man owed the king. I rather doubt that any of us would ever envision ourselves having accumulated such a debt as what this man had. So he owed his master 10,000 talents. A talent was equal to 15 years of wages. Now let's do the math. He owed him 10,000 talents. That means he owed him 150,000 years of income. That massive amount of debt, I, I think, dictated how the king originally decided to go at this matter. Originally, he was going to throw him in jail, right? But just think about it. The average working career of a guy back then was about 50 years. And remember, he owed him 150,000 years of wages, which means, in effect, if he would have put him in jail, he was sentencing him to 3,000 consecutive life sentences. He wasn't going to gain much from that, was he? And so instead, the king orders that the servant and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Well, at least he's going to get back a few cents on the dollar, isn't he? Yeah. Here's another way to look at the first man's debt. A talent was equal to about 6,000 denarii. Which again, if we do the math, he owed 10,000, means that he owed him 60 million denarii. The servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay you back everything. Really? 
Can't you just see the king saying, you think I was born yesterday? <laughs> I mean, who, are you? who did he think he was kidding? There was absolutely no way that he could keep that promise. And the king knew it. Let me emphasize that. The king knew it. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. I don't know about you, but that twist in this parable of Jesus absolutely blows my mind. How gracious is that? How amazing is that? This king, though entitled to it, forgave the man 60 million denarii. 3,000 years worth of wages wiped off. I have only one word to describe the king's actions. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, it makes me ask this question. Is there anyone in real life who would actually do that? Would you? Do you know anyone who would do that? I think you do. So you do know who the king in the parable that Jesus told is, don't you? He's God. For in this parable, per Jesus' words, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus opened the parable by saying this, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And since the story is about the kingdom of heaven, that means the king is the king of heaven. And who is the king of heaven? God, our heavenly father. He is the king of heaven. And the servant who had that insurmountable, unbelievable mountain of debt, that's you. That's me. That's all of us. Really? Really. Don't for a moment minimize your sins. Don't think to yourself, I really haven't done all that many sins or been all that bad that I have that kind of debt that I owe God. This much I do know, that of God and I tried to envision this as I wrote this. What if God were to actually come and make himself visibly present here right this minute in all his holiness and all of his glory? What would you do? I think we would do the very same thing and say the very same things that Isaiah did 
when he was given that experience by a vision. From Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, the Almighty, in that moment. If we were to see God in all of his holiness and glory, we would each become so painfully aware of our sinfulness and the massive debt that we owe God. We would come to the realization there is no way to pay him back. Woe to me. I am ruined. Or to borrow from another parable of Jesus, the words that the man from the back of the temple could only speak without looking up but beating his breast, all we could say would be, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in real life, God would actually do what the king in Jesus' parable did for that man who owed him that unpayable debt. For in real life, God is this gracious. In real life, God has been that gracious. In real life, he's been that gracious to you. In real life, he's been that gracious to me. Because in real life, God gave his son. And in real life, he laid our debt, that massive, insurmountable debt, on him. And in real life, or should I say, and in real death. On the cross, Jesus paid that debt completely. Let's go back to Isaiah once more. This time Isaiah chapter 53. This is what God did in real time through the real life suffering and death of Jesus. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted by God. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment and just connect these words of Isaiah to Jesus' parable and realize that that king, as he held that first servant accountable to him, he could have done everything that Isaiah just described to him and it would have been well within reason and well within his bounds and well within his rights to smite the man to afflict the man, to crush the man, to, to put corporal punishment on him because of the debt he owed which he could not pay. A just and holy God has every right and every reason to do that to every sinner, doesn't he? Back to Isaiah 53. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Debt canceled. Slate wiped clean. It's as though you have never spent a day in the red. Go ahead. Say it to yourself. I'm forgiven. Believe it. Because you are for real. This is what God has done through Jesus Christ. This is what he has done for you. It's what he's done for me. He has canceled your debt completely. You are free to go and live your life. And that we might believe it is why Jesus told this story. Oh, I know our tendency is to think that the primary reason Jesus told us this story is so that we would be people who forgive others. Or as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we would forgive those who have trespassed against us. And, and that is a part of this story and a part of why Jesus told it. But the primary reason Jesus told this story is so that you would understand how amazing God's love for you is. And that your debt of sin has been totally canceled and wiped off the books. As, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Another verse says he has taken our sins and thrown into the depths of the sea and he remembers them no more. I am forgiven. Say that to yourself. And yes, the secondary point of this story is that we would forgive those who have sinned against us. I, I, I think we can see that especially in two places in Jesus' story. First, when he calls into account that first man who failed to forgive the fellow servant who came to him and the king says to that first man, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And the second place where it becomes apparent that Jesus is calling us to be people of forgiveness is after citing the fact of the unforgiving servant who was subsequently thrown into jail until he could pay all of his debt, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Strong words, to be sure telling us of two things, neither of which God wants to happen. One, he doesn't want it to happen that you and I don't pass on the forgiveness he has given to us, to those who have 
wronged us. And, and secondly, in effect, he doesn't want this to happen, that in effect of our refusing to forgive someone, we are, in essence, rejecting his forgiveness that he has given to us. Go back to the parable once more. So, remembering how much that first guy owed, remember the 60 million, remember the 3,000 years of wages? Here's how much his fellow servant owed him. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. In terms relative to what he owed the king, remember, 10,000 talents, that's 150,000 years of income, or also equal to 60 million denarii. The fellow servant owed him about a hundred, equal to about three months of wages when he had been forgiven 60 million denarii and 3,000 years of prison. It's obvious to us, isn't it? What he should have done. He had been given everything he needed to be able to forgive the man who owed him. That's what that grace should have led him to do. That's, in fact, what that grace that he had received from the king gave him everything he needed to forgive that debt. So, too, the grace we have received from our Heavenly Father in forgiving us our insurmountable debt. not only leads us to be forgiving, but enables us and empowers us to be forgiving. You know, it's not easy. It is not easy to forgive someone who has wronged you, someone who owes you something, someone who has harmed you, in some way to say to them, you're forgiven. But maybe, maybe if in that moment, when we know the words our Lord would have us to say to the person who has wronged us would be words of forgiveness, if we first remind ourselves of what God has done for us in real life, maybe then we can be forgiving people. And even if it's not done in person, and it's not always able to be done in person, nor is it always best to be done in person, that we first say to ourselves, I am forgiven. And then at least in our hearts we can say to them, you are forgiven. Who do you need to say those words to? 
May the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.